on this episode of the London Life Scene. We talk with Dr. Tyler Flat and Dr. Brian Bays about friendship. So we cover topics like just let's define what is friendship, how we should think about friendship, why we should think about friendship, why there seems to be some sort of lack or void in friendship when we get older, especially among men, there lacks deep male friendship. What's going on there? What's so valuable about friendship? What does it have to do with Christianity? How can we become better friends? And much, much more. As always, if you have thoughts about the episode or ideas or requests for the show in general, hit us up, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or check us out at our website, thelondonlyceum.com. Now, for the only analytic, Baptist, and confessional podcast on the planet, we think this one's going to get you thinking. Well, I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of the London Lyceum. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your co-host, Brandon Askew. And we're a podcast that's devoted to serious thinking for a serious church, but we don't want to just think seriously as in being like sort of obnoxious about stuff and not having any fun and not having any Christian virtue with it. So we've tried to encourage a couple of virtues. The ones that we've focused in on are charity, curiosity, critical thinking, and cheerful confessionalism. And since we have a classics nerd with us today, I must clarify that we don't think of curiosity in the vice sort of sense. We think of it as being open to reason and interested in what other people have to say and just being curious in the good sense, not in the bad sense. So those are the things that we're trying to promote. But really... If you want to summarize it, we just want to be kind and gracious to other people that have different viewpoints, as well as being kind in what we think ourselves. So today, I'm really looking forward to introducing you all to Dr. Brian Bays and Dr. Tyler Flat to talk about the topic of friendship. Uh, so this, I think, is a topic that is sorely needed and also very interesting and something that we've got a lot of pastors who listen to our show and I think a lot of pastors struggle with this. So I'm excited just to talk about what is friendship, talk about some of the more older ideas about it, some current ideas, and some potential issues that go along with it. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So before we do that, why don't we go ahead and have you guys introduce yourselves to our listeners. I don't know how many people know who you are. I will say I looked at the podcast stats the other day, and Louisville, Kentucky is the number one place that people listen to our podcast from. So maybe you'll be the most hey, famous wow. people on our podcast, uh, according to our listeners. So Tyler, why don't you hey. introduce yourself first and give us a little bit of background about who you are, and then maybe who you are and why this topic was interesting to you, and you decided to think about it more than just for five seconds. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having us on, uh, Jordan and Brandon. We're very excited to be with you guys. My name is Tyler Flat. And I'm an assistant professor of humanities at Boyce College, which is the undergraduate school of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And here I teach mostly language and literature courses. I teach Latin uh, and then also world literature, great books, um, Greek and Roman history, all that sort of thing. My training is in classics and uh, curiosity with me pretty much only ever has a positive connotation. So you can rest easy on that score. But um, I love working here at a small Christian institution where I get to teach a lot and uh, really build into our students' lives. Brian and I both really love that. I think that was part of the big motivation for the friendship course that we launched a few years back is seeing a real need in our students. We get a lot of questions about friendship and um, it's kind of, it lies kind of at the nexus of our two disciplines, philosophy and classics. There's a lot of really good ancient and medieval writing on friendship and of course, it's of great contemporary relevance as we ask questions about what is the good life and, and how do we cultivate virtue together, not just singly. 
Um, plus, we're friends, best friends, and we love teaching together. So it was just, it was kind of a natural fit. And it was something that we both wanted to learn more about as well. Um, so I'm, I'm Canadian originally. I didn't grow up uh, Southern Baptist, but uh, I saw the light as an adult. And You're the um, only person I've ever heard to say that. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) For such a time as this, you saw the light. That's right. Um, I I love living down here. I love Louisville. I love Kentucky. I love uh, America. And uh, I think I'm – I fit – he's laughing at me. I think I fit in here more more every day than I did at the beginning. But I do apologize a lot. I'm sorry about that in advance. Uh, And you can't can't take the Canadian out of me totally, so – that's my background. He'll send some maple syrup and apologies later. That's right. Um, to you. Um, my name is Brian Bays. I am the Associate Professor of Philosophy and Apologetics here at Boyce College. Uh, I, also, I also oversee a couple of programs here on campus. One is the Philosophy, Politics, and Economics degree. And I also direct the Honors Program as well here. Um I've been married for over 15 years, have three children. Uh, I uh, did my undergraduate at the University of Kentucky. I'm a born and raised Kentuckian. These hills are really my home. Uh, The soil is just sort of in my blood. And um, I'm very thankful for that. Um, I came to Boyce uh, in 2014, but I did my master's and PhD at the seminary, so I was already familiar with the school. Uh, familiar with the college, um, did some work as a part-time adjunct while I was working on my PhD and then came on here full-time. Uh, met Tyler in 2016. Thereabouts. 2016 or so um, on a trip to Boston with a group of boys students that I was helping over sort of oversee and chaperone. And uh, Tyler was there and we got to meet and we just kind of immediately became fast friends. It was a pretty kindred spirit very quickly. It's really the only friendship that I've ever had where it just seemed seamless from kind of the jump. Um, My interest in friendship started uh, partially as you get or as I got older and recognizing some of the friendships that I had held so deeply and dearly just kind of slowly dissipated. And I didn't really know why. And it didn't feel wrong to me necessarily, but it felt strange, if that makes sense. Um, and I, and I was searching for categories to explain that phenomenon. Um, there are friendships maybe that I felt like at times I probably should have worked harder on those to keep them, to stabilize them and whatnot. But many of them, it was just, this was a sweet season and it's gone. That's okay. But why is that okay? Um, and I didn't really feel comfortable with the sort of broader spiritualized language that was usually attached to it. I wanted, I wanted substance. And so teaching philosophy, teaching uh, history of philosophy, two semesters of it every year in the fall and the spring, friendship, I noticed, was a pretty consistent theme, in the, especially in antiquity. Uh, and teaching Aristotle every fall, it, I mean, it's literally 30% of the Nicomachean ethics, right? It's, uh, it's well, sorry, 20%. It's two of the 10, if not even three of the 10, depending on how you read it. Um, so it was just this sort of like, this is here, and then you read some of the other more ancient writers and even early Christian writers and they're, and they're reading and they're talking about it. They're putting it in their sermons. They're putting it in letters. It's everywhere. And trying to figure out where the disconnect was and why, um, was an intriguing thing to think about. And then, you know, the friendship with Tyler and both of our interests in it just became just kind of snowballed into this 
for us, what has become kind of a primary project of the way we think and write and kind of reflect of trying to figure out how do we think about this stuff, uh, both classical and Christian throughout history, and why is there such a sort of dearth of, of resources now on this, and why why has there been such an absence for so long? It, it seems kind of silly to ask for a definition of, of what we mean by friendship, since it's something that we talk about all the time, and maybe it just seems kind of all around us, but uh, it probably would be good to get something something in place on what exactly do we mean when we're talking about friendship. Yeah, so that's a that's a very difficult question to answer, and there have been a lot of different definitions over the ages. Our approach has more or less been to take one, which we think is excellent, and then to kind of hold it in the back of our minds as we go through all of those different centuries of readings with our students and uh, see if there's ways that we want to nuance it. But we don't think that it's very easy to improve on Cicero's definition. Um, he wrote this definition in a dialogue called On Friendship, sometimes called the Lilius. And uh, it's easy to find in the, the low classical library series and some other places. But Cicero says, friendship is a complete accord on all subjects, human and divine, joined with mutual goodwill and affection. And uh, just as we've, as we've thought through that definition, and maybe I should read it one more time, um, like I said, it's just it's hard to find a better one than that to think with, at least. It's a beginning, I think, we, we treat it that way. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh, so again, uh, Cicero says, Friendship is a complete accord on all subjects, human and divine, joined with mutual goodwill and affection. Um, and another way to think about that, I think what we've learned through reading more of Cicero's own treatise and other things is complete accord on things divine and human doesn't mean agreement on every little aspect of your personalities and life. What he's getting at there is the most important things, what it means to be human and what divinity is and what uh, implications it has for our lives. The central things, agreement on the central things, maybe we could paraphrase, uh, with mutual goodwill and affection. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, um, it's really remarkable when you look through the tradition, the Christian tradition, even how much that definition is is just either assumed or it's expressed and then expounded on. Um, um, Augustine does this in his letters. He, you know, the affectionate way. I, it sort of strikes me as affectionate. You would know better than I would, but he just says uh, Tully. He just calls him our dear friend Tully, right? He so he he doesn't even say Cicero. He just says Tully, right? As Tully says or as Tully this, which in context you would know. Cicero, but if you didn't know, you would wonder who that person is. Uh, but if you know the definition, then you'll know who he's talking about when he says it, and he expounds on it. Uh, you can go into the medieval era and Elred and spiritual friendships. One of the key sort of characters in in the writings of spiritual friendship is Cicero, um, and so it really is this kind of uh, retrieval and recasting that happens all throughout the Christian tradition. Uh, all the way up to when, for whatever reason, it just kind of seems to fall off a literary cliff and that it just doesn't seem to be discussed very much. Uh, but that notion of agreement on things human and divine, a complete, you know, a complete agreement on things human and divine with mutual goodwill and affection seems to stand the test of time, even among Christians, knowing full well that it's a citation from and a drawing from um, uh, a an ancient Roman source, a virtuous mm -hmm. pagan. Yes. Say. Yes. Some, something that I 
wanted to ask about was what what seems to be a really a void of deep male friendships today. I was reading, and I don't remember where I read this. Maybe it was in Gentle and Lowly. I don't know, but there, there um, whatever I was reading references a study where someone um, was studying the different letters that were written, like in colonial times, versus yeah. and and the language that was used there uh, between uh, male friends, and then how that compares to. Uh, what we see today, maybe that was gentle and lowly. I don't know. I can't remember. But anyhow, it seems like you're familiar with it. Why do you think uh, that there is a, a void in male friendship today? Yeah, I think um, as with anything, I uh, I always kind of go back to uh, what my uh, what both my history and my classics professors taught me at the University of Kentucky, which was to always be suspicious of monocausal explanations. Uh, which is to say, there's never one singular reason. And I know this question wasn't asking for that, so so I'm not assuming that. But um, uh, but so there's never one reason. It's always kaleidoscopic. There's always a multiplicity of possibilities here that could be explained. Um, I think s- some of this has to do with uh, the way in which male friendships are expressed in broader culture the way male relationships are expressed in broader culture. I think even when you localize it to sometimes local church ministries are often sort of expressed in certain ways that seem to uh, present male friendships as only being a certain kind of form. So hunting and, and camping and grilling out and this kind of stuff, as opposed to maybe really important conversations, you know, so that, so they often, I grew up with the often sort of common notion of, men men learn and men grow together shoulder to shoulder and women grow face to face and i understand the sentiment underneath that um i just think it's probably substantially misguided uh, and i think it's sometimes bred a sense that male friendships are only friendships when there is some kind of function to them or some kind of role and feature they're playing together in a broader picture and that's true in one sense, but can't be the full picture of what this means, uh, because friendships are at their very core, not not um, they are agreement on things human and divine. But it doesn't necessarily mean that there's um, similar kinds of tasks that each each person is after or that they're pursuing towards it. It is a pursuit of virtue. It's a pursuit of Goodness, it's a pursuit of love and affection towards one another where the goodwill is mutual. But um, I think there is a kind of flattening of the notion of what it means to be a friend as a man to another man when there is this this presumption of of a kind of masculinity that um, that I think reduces male friendships to action or the active you know, the active verb of, of what that means rather than it being the delight in and the love of and the enjoyment of another's presence in which one is fully known to a degree that only a friend can say. And that kind of uh, vulnerability, that kind of presence with another, I don't think necessitates a kind of active participation in something together. It can be the enjoyment of one another in the presence of one another in a way that allows for love, courage, mutual goodwill and affection to be shown and to, and to be acted upon if necessary. But I do think part of the dearth of male friendship and part of the absence here is 
some kind of recognition that male friendships are only friendly and only true when they're actively pursuing some kind of thing. That's true insofar as that is a piece, but it's not the whole pie. And I think part of that for many is this idea of I am not that kind of man, so therefore I cannot be that kind of friend, so therefore I stand as a kind of lone wolf, uh, even if they don't want that. Yeah, I I have a theory that there's a North American dimension to this uh, question as well. Um, it's, It's my sense just from long observation that among us, and I would include Canada in this category again, because I think that the common element is the settlement of of a wild and wide land and, and a front yeah. frontier phrase frontier phase, excuse me, that left its mark on, on both cultures pretty deeply. I think among us, self-sufficiency and independence aren't just values, they're actually expectations. Yeah. And even a kind of test routinely yeah, among men. You know, I, I, I ask myself sometimes, so I live a pretty ordinary suburban uh, suburban lifestyle. And I ask myself sometimes, why do I need to have a copy of every kind of useful tool in my shed? And my neighbor's got all of his and all of us have all of ours. And sure, some of them, you know, we need our own stuff. But like some of them are expensive. And like I think some of the reason, I'm sure there's lots of reasons for this. And, and the big box stores have something to do with it. But some of it is... We don't want to be under the tiniest obligation to another man to get anything done, ever. And even among Christians, I think there's there's an initial reluctance. There's a tendency to say, I'm really only going to ask for help or prayer if I'm pretty hard up in some sense. If I'm really feeling overwhelmed, like we our threshold for inviting aid from others, I think is is sort of abnormally high. And like independence and self-sufficiency aren't bad things. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I strive for those things in my own life too. And I think they're a healthy part of, of what a man can be, but, uh, or a woman for that matter, to be honest. But um, I think there's a level of excess in our North American cultures on that score. And, uh, and the thing about friendship, and we can talk about more about this later, is voluntarily putting oneself under obligation to one's friend Mm. is absolutely crucial and central to the growth of a friendship without mutual obligation and indebtedness. There can be no real friendship. And, and sometimes those things are anathema to us. I don't want to be indebted to anybody. I want to, I want to look to my male peers. Like I've got everything under control and I can handle it just fine on my own. Um, And I think that's a real problem for us. So he, here's a question, and before I do that, I think I've I've got a comment, Tyler. I think you're the first person who's ever made me cry on a podcast. Uh, so at the very beginning, when you said, "Oh I man, America," I don't know I about died. Uh, so <laughs> now, now we're back on focus. Uh, in line with this sort of question, something you know I've noticed over the years is there seems to be almost like a, I don't know, in mid-20s to early 30s transition where people have a lot of friends. And maybe it's not super deep friendships at that point, uh, but at at some point they suddenly just don't have any friends. They're late 20s, early 30s, they begin to lose friends. It becomes really difficult to build those friendships. Is there an explanation besides the fact that you're just not living close by, shoulder to shoulder with people and being forced to build those, and now you're in context where it's just difficult to have 
anybody who's like close in age or has similar interests or those things, what's the reason that it's really hard to make friends after a certain age? I think part of it is, especially as young people, like so much of our media and advertising, we don't realize this. It's really geared for a younger, a younger crowd with disposable income. And um, we're bombarded by messages all the time saying, craft your persona, think about who you are, you know, like define your personality. And very rarely are we also getting the message, friendship will be exceedingly important for the rest of your life. And it can disappear if you don't nourish it, like most good things. Uh, Invest in it now and learn how to invest in it now when it's easy to make friends because you're moving from school to school you're trying out different jobs. You're building a career. Um, you're you don't you're not settled down. Maybe with a married life or with kids. Um, you're, you're really mobile. Maybe you're living in different cities. Um, there's just not a lot of voices in our culture saying this is something you're going to have to work at. And it's like it's like brushing your teeth. You know, my wife and I uh, are foster parents. We've got this beautiful toddler. And we're teaching her about brushing her teeth and how important that is. And we joke and we say, well, only brush the teeth that you want to keep, you know, and friendship is like this. Like it's something we invest in now because we're going to need it later. Like it's, it's necessary to our flourishing later, but we take it for granted uh, when we're young because everything's easy when you're young. Right. Yeah, I'm still just laughing at the brush the teeth you want to it's keep. Beautiful. That's amazing. It's, it's my wife's line. I, can't, I love can't it. Take credit for I it. love it. If only my fellow Kentuckians would learn that too. Um, but um so i think i think there's something to i think there's something to that but then i think there's also uh another part of this which is that's usually during the era of your life where you're maybe first learn maybe learning for the first time i think this gets to part of what tyler's describing too maybe learning for the first time um how to handle all the responsibilities that are placed in front of you uh, presumably during this era, one probably gets married. They start raising a family. They probably start having a real quote unquote big boy job for the first time. Uh, and all of those things feel like they're colliding. They're crashing. Uh, it feels like one has an obligation over another at different point in times. And how do you do this? And there's some serious, you know, to use Charles Taylor's language, there's serious cross pressures that happen in those moments. And then, so trying to figure those things out, sometimes you kind of go, well, what can I give up? Or what do I not have to think about? Or, uh, or what do I, uh, or what do I need to think about the most? Maybe is the other way to say that. Um, and I think during all of that, friendship is just really not a category that gets kind of put in, right? Uh, because there hasn't been presumably up to that point, anyone kind of telling you, listen, friendship is a fabric of the created order, and it shapes both you and the place you're in. And you give it up to your detriment uh, and you put it to the side to not just your detriment, but to your neighbor's detriment and a common good detriment too, where there's a sense of obligation and a bigger obligation than yourself, but also the ability to be able to shape both yourself by others seeing you in the struggle, helping you and assisting you in the struggle, even if they themselves are not married or, or, or whatnot for the longest time for Tyler and I, you know, I, you know, I, my oldest is almost 13 years old. So, and in our friendship, I was the one with kids. And so there was no obligation on his end with children and the obligations of children. And then, you know, beautiful Rosie comes along and now there is, but, um, for the longest time, 
like my friendship was shaped by Tyler. And I think presumably the other way around in terms of being able to see how we live and the lives and how we order them and the way we think about it and the kinds of kinds of ways in which we operate. So it's during this window of time where there's a lot of obligations, a lot of responsibilities, a lot of new parts of life where uh, perhaps up to that point, there has been like maybe a singular goal. They're pursuing graduation, Um, you know, the, the fulfillment of a master's degree or PhD or finding a spouse or whatever the, whatever it is, there's a singular kind of focus in which they've spent most of their time. And so they've been able to kind of justify other decisions uh, based upon the singular pursuit of this goal, and suddenly they reach it, and now it's like, what? What do I have? Uh, I've fulfilled it. I've got it. Now what? Is this what I've been waiting for? And if friendship is not an essential sort of piece of that, then you see, you start to feel a bit like a disentangled, disconnected, sort of fractured person who doesn't have the capacity to be able to maybe think carefully about the way in which what they've attained is good, but now they have to work towards something different and there's no one there to kind of help them do it. And so you, you kind of feel stuck and you feel lost and you get now, it's no longer mid, it's no longer midlife crisis. It's like quarter life crises. And, uh, and, and all these things just sort of swell up in you and you're, and, but no one is there to help carry the burden with you. Yeah. And I, I want to add to just by way of a word of hope for people who might be listening to this and thinking, well, that's me. I didn't invest in friendship and now I'm all alone, <laughs> you know, but the great thing is there's no biological clock for friendship. Yeah. Like at any point in your life, even if you're, you know, way over the hill on the other side, uh, it's not rocket science at a certain level. And with some investment now you can, you can begin again, you can begin again and seek people out. And there's no time of our lives when we don't, need and profit from and hunger for friendship. And if that's true of you, it's true of other people who might be out there um, wondering the same thing. So this is something that I think we had planned on talking about a little bit later on, but I want to make sure we get to it. Um, And that's um, pastors and and friendships. So um, ministry can be uh, kind of a lonely place sometimes. And um, I know some pastors who, uh, I mean, myself sometimes just being transparent here, uh, struggle with loneliness. But um, I know some other pastors who who are really, really struggling with it. What do you think? And I know we want to avoid the monocausal uh, explanations here. But uh, is there anything about the pastorate that you think makes it uniquely susceptible to neglecting friendships? And then, what would you say to pastors about cultivating better friendships uh, mm. in their lives? Mm. Man. That's an outstanding question. Yeah. I think any kind of role that involves leadership and some measure of authority is always going to challenge and put pressure on the natural conditions that foster friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this has been true. I've often wondered why I've struggled to be friends in a normal way with pastors and, and elders in my life at different stages. And I think part of that is my personality. I'm just particularly sensitive to leadership and authority dynamics. And so it's always felt different. And well, I'm, I'm not a pastor, but presumably you feel some of that maybe on the other side of that equation as well. You were going to say something, Brian. Well, you're Canadian, so you would feel that way about things. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anyways, yeah. continue. Are you trying to say we're hierarchical? So. I'm, yeah, I'm saying you. Yeah, anyways. Well, anyway, um, yeah. We can uh, talk about Her Majesty later. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's complicated. I think also the nature of the work in the pastorate is yeah. isolating. You've got to be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, in the preparation of sermons and teaching, there's a lot of isolating study um, and and kind of legwork that has to be done behind the scenes. You're often visiting people. You're often ministering to people when they're in like really extreme situations or bereaved or like it's not a time when you can be like, hey, I'm so sorry you've lost your loved one. Let's talk about hope in Christ. And hey, do you want to get coffee later and just hang out? You know, like you can't you're you're in situations which are almost designed to make it hard to to find time to interact in kind of an everyday way with people. I'm sure that's part of it. Yeah, I think the I think Tyler's right. The mantle of leadership of any kind, but it, but especially the kind where you're shepherding people, uh shepherding souls and shepherding individuals with whom you're accountable to God for them and they are also accountable to you and how they follow you. Uh, when you place that kind of dynamic, that very true and real dynamic into the equation, it makes it really difficult for pastors to feel like they can be friends with their congregational, with their fellow congregants. Um, I'm not a pastor. Tyler's not a pastor. But I could imagine where that would be really hard, uh, extremely hard um, and extremely difficult and could um, where, where it would seem entirely reasonable for pastors to feel lonely, not because they are. Uh, a certain personality type or because they are a certain kind of person, just because the nature of the job requires a certain kind of what feels like a certain kind of distance. Um, and perhaps some of that is inescapable to shepherd well, right? Perhaps we, perhaps we make that concession. Um, Cause I think that's probably true. Um, but I, I don't think that renders a conclusion of therefore it's a life of loneliness or a life of friendlessness, uh, because I think there is a sweetness in the ability of other men who get what's ha- who get you on that kind of level uh, to be able to spend time with one another again with no expectations other than the mere sharing and enjoyment of one another's presence with mutual goodwill and affection and love with one another, which is why I think you see. M- Men who are pastors, many of their deepest relationships are with fellow pastors, right? And I think that's a gift. I think it is a good thing. I think it's a, it's not just good. It's a necessary thing um, because it's in those moments that it's not just a time of commiseration, though. That's probably at least part of it. Um, but it's also an ability uh, for both of them to understand a battle and understand a struggle and understand a reality, even a joyful burden in a way that just no one else gets. And that's okay. Right. And, you know, on a more trite level, we can see this on a much more trite level. We see this with uh, living presidents who seem to become deep and fast friends. The second both of them are out of office. Right. Um, And the way they seem to enjoy one another's presence and enjoy one another's time together and how, uh, why? Because they're the only ones who know what it's like to have their finger on the nuclear codes. And they're the only ones who know what it means to to stay up late at night with the burden of leading a nation on their shoulders. No one else gets that. And no one else but, at this point, 46 people in American history have ever felt that burden. Um, and and so t- to have that, again, on a much, on a much less 
it's still important, right? I'm, I mean, I'm a political philosopher at heart, so it's it's still an important thing. <laughs> but it's certainly not the same sort of thing as shepherding a people and shepherding God's people to where um, that can be a terribly lonely thing. But I think that's where other men who know that burden uh, can share it together in a way that hopefully helps to sort of foster love and affection and friendship with one another. And I, I, like, I'm sure to a lot of pastors investing in their own friendships probably feels like a selfish indulgence or a luxury because they're, I mean, I know many pastors who just their, their natural mindset is I want to be available to care for the needs of my people whenever they need me. And uh, I think this is just like, like making some regular rest time in your week or exercising or some of these things that we do to, to keep the engine running. You, you can't be taking stuff out of the system all yeah. the time yeah. and never putting things back in. And that's, one of those essential must-have items you've got to put in. Like you can't, Brian likes to use agricultural metaphors because it was a K- Kentucky roots, but um, you can't you can't grow the same crop all the time in the same field uh, without giving it a break, without exhausting the soil at a certain point. And you've got to give some things a rest and invest in something else and grow grow that elsewhere a little bit as well if you wanna if you want long-term fertility in your fields, you know. And I think. I think pastors, especially if they don't want to burn out and nobody wants to burn out, they've got to think now about the urgency of, and it doesn't have to be a lot, just investing a little bit of time weekly in those friendships. They can't do without them any more than the rest of us can. I'm glad that you're using simple illustrations for Brian from Kentucky. (laughs) I like to keep things on his level, you know. It is important. It is important for my Kentucky education to make sure that I I know what you're talking about. So it is really critical. So. Thank you for stupid in my level. It's my pleasure. So question about Christianity and friendship. Does does Christianity say anything unique about friendship compared to, I mean, obviously, I think we mentioned Aristotle, Cicero, these others who are talking about friendship. Does it really speak to it? Does it nuance it? Does it change it? Does it have, are there any texts you feel like in scripture that are really lucid on the topic of friendship? So this is a this is a question that comes up frequently in our friendship class and I think the answer the short answer is it's kind of complicated it's a little bit of yes and a little bit of no so on the no side we'd say there's one sense in which scripture and the christian tradition doesn't say anything unique to us about friendship in the sense that um it doesn't necessarily say anything unique to us about eating or washing the body like because friendship is such a basic part of who we are as human beings. A lot of what Brian and I give our students to read from the pagan classical tradition, for instance, or from, from different parts of the world, a lot of it is, is quite uh, easy to, to find in compatibility with scripture because scripture uh, in general affirms the life-giving goodness of friendship. So I'm fond of quoting, um, I'm fond of quoting in lots of different circumstances, better is a friend close by than a brother far away. And I think that's more about just more than about just geographical proximity. It's about um, some of these ties that bind that, that might not seem as natural as family bonds that in some ways can be more significant um, because of their proximity to, to vulnerable parts of our lives. Um, But then I think in another, there is another sense in which, Yes, Christianity does have, has something unique to contribute to the conversation because those who are inhabited 
and controlled and enlightened by the same spirit, yeah. the spirit of God can simply experience that definition of friendship that we read from Cicero in a far more profound way and to a much richer measure, I think, than uh, those who do not have that most important uh, of spiritual conditions in common. Um, and those relationships, those Christian friendships especially, are going to be ultimately eternal in a way that other such relationships will not be. And this gets complicated because we also have a, a family relationship in the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. And as we teach it in our class, uh, we think there's good reason for not making those things identical. We don't believe that friendship and brotherhood and sisterhood are exactly the same categories within uh, the family of God, but they do overlap a lot. And it can be actually quite difficult really to say, well, where does friendship end and brotherhood begin or, or the other way around? Um, I often think, and we often talk in our class about the fact that Jesus called the apostles, the disciples, I should say, his friends. What, what does that mean? You know, what, a, what an incredibly wonderful, um, just that word that he used, that he condescended. We talk about Christ's condescension all the time, but we miss that um, that kind of condescension. I think it has something to do with going back to Moses, that the Lord spoke to Moses as a man speaks with his friend. I mean, think about what that means. And, and, and Jesus is God with us. And I don't think that's just about the disciples. I think by extension, he, he calls us friend as well. And I, I wouldn't pretend to say that I feel like I've plumbed all of the interpretive depths mm. of that. But I think that's where I feel inclined to start with trying to understand Scripture's testimony about friendship and and what it can be in Christ far beyond what we could ever imagine just in ordinary human terms. But I think at the same time, the Bible affirms and repeats the language of, of normal, basic human friendship as well. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I think that's exactly right. I think there is something that even... Even if there's a category in antiquity that could, would have been a feature of friendship, it gets transformed and elevated or ennobled in Christian thought and in Christian reflection in a way that doesn't doesn't destroy what came before it, but clarifies and probably shows the fuller picture of really what is meant. So um, we use category like transparency, right? Being being transparent as a friend. The presumption under Cicero's definition of mutual goodwill and affection and agreement on things human and divine assumes that there has been some pretty substantial conversation. And if you read Damakitia or On Friendship, it's very clear that there is. But the idea of transparency in Christian friendship and, and in the Christian faith sounds wildly different than it would have in antiquity in a host of ways. Not just, I mean, practically, but also just in theological categories. Um, the language of iron sharpening iron and what what it means as a friend to to pray for another friend um, to to hold up a friend in prayer in tears or in joy or in hope either in their presence or not I think allows for the notion of Christian friendship to be something different though not. Uh, exclusive to what it means to be a friend, if that if that makes sense. Um, and so I think I think that's that's part of it. Um, when you read Augustine in some of his letters, for example, uh, and even in the Confessions, 
you can see that there's this understanding, there's some transition that's happening that shows that friendship, which at this point may have been assumed, especially in antiquity, was absolutely assumed that friendship, um, it's hard to withstand friendship with distance, physical distance, actual like you're a two days ride away. That's hard to sustain and maintain a friendship in, in those lights. Um, but you don't really see that kind of fear in someone like, let's say, Augustine, or even in some of, I think, uh, Chrysostom in one of his homilies on this. And it's precisely because when you share the same spirit, despite the distance, you're just as unified as you would be if you were 10 feet or 10 city-states across. Uh, it, it wouldn't matter because the ministry of the spirit and the same spirit is embodied in both of you to unite you in heart and soul and mind and strength as you pursue Christ together in the different spaces that you inhabit. I do think there's something unique in that sense that that Christian friendship offers that I think its rivals have a hard time accounting for uh, and has to use it synthetically these days with technology, uh, right? Where you can say, I'm unified and I can see a friend now, but that's a synthetic solution to what the Spirit of God gives us supernaturally with brothers and sisters. Yeah, and I, I, to me, it's instructive to think about the number of times Paul says uh, to people who are his brothers and sisters, and I think also in many cases his friends and the different congregations that he's writing to, he says, though away in body, I'm with you in spirit. Yeah. Like, okay, Paul isn't omnipresent, right? In, in a literal sense, but a sense, but the, the spirit is. And there's a sense in which he can say in a really serious way, I am there with you. And, and as you make right judgments among you and uphold the teachings that have been delivered to you, I am there with you yeah. in zeal and in love. I, I don't think that's just a figure of speech um, when he uses that kind of language. And I think, again, although that's not explicitly linked in the scriptures to friendship, it seems to me that that, that is a, a real aspect of it that sets it apart from, from more ordinary sorts of human friendships, I suppose. Before we wrap up, um, I was curious, you mentioned Augustine, but do you have any other... Uh, favorite examples of Christian friendships from church history that you uh, really enjoy reading about that maybe you could um, direct the listeners to like some good examples. I know uh, one of our friends, uh, Jake, who is uh, on the podcast sometimes, he uh, is particularly fond of the William Carey and Andrew Fuller uh, friendship. So I don't know if maybe that would be an example or if you have any others that you would point people to. You know, I think one that, that many of your listeners will know that's a good one to look at is the way that Lewis and Tolkien interacted. Um, they frequently disagreed on lots of different things, um, but they they cared for one another and loved each other warmly. Sometimes that meant saying hard things to one another. Um, Tolkien, for instance, was frequently sort of baffled by some of Lewis's life choices, not, not to mention any in particular. But uh, in spite of that, uh, they were f sort of fascinated by one another and periodically throughout their careers, you see that warmth coming forth, forth. And as many people know, Tolkien played a really key role in Lewis's conversion um, back to mm. the Christian faith. And um, he probably wasn't Lewis's closest friend, but um, to me, that's a good picture of how very different people in different stages of their, um, their spiritual journeys can 
be there for one another in spectacular ways uh, without any huge grand gestures, but just being there, being ready to speak at the right moment out of love for the other person. Again, even if it's hard words sometimes, not necessarily saying what the other person wants to hear all the time, but sometimes saying, hey, as your friend, I think you need to seriously think about what's going on in this aspect of your life. Um, so that's one that's that's been an inspiration to me. Lewis in general never had an uninteresting friendship, I think. And if you read his letters and diary entries in particular, outside of the regular works that we tend to read, you really can see some rich documentation of uh, of all sorts of different friendships that he had. So he's he's somebody that I draw inspiration from. I know that's sort of the typical evangelical answer, but um, I still think it's a good one. Yeah, that's really the one that stuck out to me as well. I don't, I don't know if I have any others off the top of my head at the moment that I would recommend other than maybe starting there and then kind of springboarding back. One of the... Uh, one of the assignments we give our students in the friendship class <clears throat> is to do an evaluation of historical friendships. So we give a list, and obviously Lewis and Tolkien are on there, and then there's some other more historical sort of categories too. Um, so even when we're doing it with our students, we're trying to get them to sort of look at historical examples, both Christian and non-Christian alike. Um, Jefferson and Adams kind of come to mind in the letters they shared, and then the friendship that kind of dissolved and then came back together as they were sort of older in life. Um, so, um, so yeah, but I think Lewis and Tolkien are the two that sort of stick out in my head as well. Uh, let me give you a non-Christian one too. It's one of my favorite American ones, I think. Well, at least not explicitly Christian. So, uh, Grant, oh, yeah. Ulysses S. Grant, this is one of my favorite examples in class and Tecumseh Sherman were fast friends. And uh, not only because of all that they went through, through the war, but I think primarily for that reason. Um, and they both had all kinds of crazy personal struggles which I think they they attempted to overcome as best they could in, in virtuous ways. Not always successfully. Grant struggled with alcoholism at different times in his life. And uh, Sherman seems to have had some serious mental health struggles as well. But um, Sherman summed it up this way, and I, I'll just never forget this. He said, um, of Grant, I stood by him when he was drunk, and he stood by me when I was crazy. And now we stand by one another always. And uh, I, to me, that's just, that's the essence of friendship to some degree. It, it captures not only the good times and the reasons we enjoy spending time with one another, but the fact that, that we stand shoulder to shoulder confronting life's challenges and, um, and our own sin even sometimes with, uh, with courage and uh, with endurance, not just not just for five years or ten years, but for the long haul and the best of friendships, and uh, that's one that's an inspiration to me as well. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, I think it's important. This is just more of sort of a comment at the end to just kind of say that I I, I think it's really important for um, men to hear, especially um, that. Friendship is uh, and should be a non-negotiable in the way in which they order their lives and order the fabrics of their of their lives and their rhythms. Um, and to have the kinds of friendships and relationships that allow for vulnerability, allow for honesty, allow for courage to be expressed, allow for mentorship to arise, and allow for others to pray for one another, encourage sometimes. Uh, for another, but to recognize that 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 friendship is at the same time 
the most useless thing and yet the most one of the most important things that we will ever do uh, and that we will ever um, have done to us in terms of relationships and friendships. Yeah. Saving the best for last. And Tyler, I'm proud of you for knowing such American history. So good on you. Well, you know, it's the zeal of a convert. He you wants know, to I'm, be an American so bad. I, it, you have no idea. Well, hold on. For my Canadian listeners out there, okay, listen, you can you can enjoy a little bit of both worlds. Okay, you don't have to you don't have to be limited to one. But uh, there's a lot about this country and its its people that I admire, and uh, so I I spend a lot of time thinking about it and trying to understand these these crazy wacky people that I live among. That's awesome. So, so the yeah. last question I'm going to ask you guys before we wrap up is a little bit you can self serve yourself here a little bit. So. One thing, do you have a website or do you have social media or somewhere people can follow you and your work? And then the second thing is sell me on Boys College, on Southern Seminary. If I'm listening to this and either A, I'm considering where I want to go to school or B, I'm old enough. I mean, I don't know how many listeners we have that are in the that stage of life where they're thinking about helping their child decide where they want to go to college, where they want to go to seminary. Why should they go there? Well, that's red meat to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should deal with the first question there. First. Well, tell them about your Instagram and your Twitter and your Snapchat and everything. So I have zero social media, <laughs> uh, but you can email me <laughs> at tflat, T-F-L-A-T-T, at sbts.edu. And um, there's other ways to contact me, but um, I shouldn't say I didn't know Snapchat that. still existed. I thought it was all TikTok. Here your pigeon. <laughs> just uh yeah tiktok too yeah yeah just uh just send it via carrier pigeon to tyler flat um <laughs> tell us about your social media dr base yeah so you can find me on twitter uh uh at brian bays b-r-y-n-b-a-i-s-e um i'm on instagram as well um i've uh i don't have a website i mean i have a medium page but it doesn't really get a lot of play is there a place where someone can read some recent oh, things God, that you've gracious. written about friendship online uh, okay can you think of i'm any? going to I link just publish to this, an essay so tell us about okay okay <laughs> okay i just published an essay with mere orthodoxy a couple of weeks ago on masculinity and friendship on uh the kind of malaise of masculinity and the promise of friendship for men especially it's excellent um, you all should read it so, um, so yeah, so that one, and I've got a couple others in the hopper that I'm working on now, one on the virtue of friendliness and, uh, friendliness with respect to, um, kind of charity and common good. And I'm, I, I'm going to attach some kind of, uh, stuff related to men and masculinity too. I didn't, I didn't set out to do it, but I feel particularly burdened at least right now to kind of try to provide alternative voices. So we're supposed to talk about. Uh, Boys yes. Southern. Go ahead. So, Boys College is an amazing place. I've been involved in a, lot, a number of different academic institutions in my time, and I've never been in a place which is so united faculty, staff, and students around one mission that of biblical education. If you come here, you are going to get, or your kid is going to get, uh, an amazing array of Bible centric classes. We, we require, I think, a pretty much unparalleled among similar institutions, amount of Bible and theology credits for every degree, whether you're doing a degree in humanities, uh, politics, philosophy, economics, or global missions, or counseling, or any one of our majors business, you're still going to take that large number of biblical theological 
uh, oriented courses. You're going to learn how to interpret and understand the Bible really thoroughly and all of its different parts. Um, but at the same time, you're going to be dealing with a faculty who's really happy to be here. Uh, we were in and out of our off- each other's offices all the time. Brian and I are not the only ones who collaborate on all kinds of things. And in my experience, happy faculty makes happy students. Uh, and this is this is just a place where there's a lot of joy focused on the mission of, of learning as believers together about the world around us and about uh, all that God has given us in Christ. So if that appeals to you, check out Boyce. Uh, you can apply online and uh, we're very proactive, our admissions people, about getting you here on campus to see what it's like for yourself and uh, touring the place and, and meeting future professors and all that kind of thing. So if you're interested, don't hesitate. Yeah, it's a place where you can be serious about the life of the mind and also be serious about your own growth in Christ while being serious about the life of the mind, while also not feeling like you always have to be serious, (laughs) Um, uh, I guess is kind of the way you could describe that. Are you saying that we're not always serious? Um, One might say Something along those lines. He'll post about it on Twitter later. Yeah, I probably sure. will. Yeah. Um, and it really is a wonderful place. Uh, it's a beautiful place, both both visually, but also the culture in which we're trying to build and, and, and trying to sustain that came before us and also continue the legacy that is any, you know, is a love of the mind, a love of... Um, uh, a kind of good-natured, charitable—you might call it a kind of warm-hearted piety—of mm. um, of loving God and loving neighbor and trying to the best of our ability to learn what it means to shape a people that loves a campus, loves a community, and loves a common good for the kingdom of Christ. And I think that's the hope, at least for every faculty member on this hallway, and I think for most students who attend here— um, and I think they find out pretty quickly if this place is not for them, uh, if that if that's not really the heartbeat of of what they want to do when they're here. Yeah, and I, for those listeners who are most interested in Boyce College too, don't forget that the proximity to Southern Seminary, with which we share a campus and a faculty, is a huge asset that you can't find anywhere else in the world. I mean, even as faculty at Boyce, we appreciate this all the time. Talking to Tom Schreiner about Romans or Jonathan Pennington about the New Testament, or any number of our incredible faculty here. Uh, We're learning from Dr. Moeller and all of his many multifaceted areas of of competence and interest. Um, You have access to all of that when you're on this campus. And it's just, it's a unique community. I don't, I really don't think there's any place like this anywhere else. Awesome. Well, that's good stuff. I mean, I got a special place in my heart for Louisville and all things Southern. I didn't go to Boyce, but I went to Southern. Um, And I tell you, The food scene in Louisville, I totally miss everything about that. So <laughs> it is, it is amazing. So yeah. thanks to both yeah, of you for joining us on the episode. Uh, so I'll tell you, go check out uh, Brian's article. I'll link to it in the notes that you guys have access to that. I'll also link to Cicero's dialogue on friendship, so you got access to that as well. Tyler, yeah. you'll have to tell us in an email what the best translation is, so I can link to that, so all the super nerds can get it. And the last thing... Oh, it's probably mine, forthcoming 2035. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You can't can't go wrong with with many of those, but the Loeb is a great place to start. Loeb Classical Library. All right, well, then I'll put that in there. And I I don't know whose office this is, but it looks like Aquinas and Bart are next to each other. And I don't know if that's like some sort of joke, but it's it's pretty awesome. (laughs) You can... um, uh, 
I'll just um, I'll just leave that for my really good friend Tyler Whitman to explain, and you can link his his CUP book on on Bart and Aquinas and creation, and then I'll just I'll he can take me out to dinner for the royalties that come from that's, that. That's that's I mean I'm sure he'll get royalties enough off of one book. So. I'm sure you will, Chris. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> will. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks for joining us, and everybody who's been listening in. You've been listening to the only analytic Baptist and confessional podcast on the planet, and we'll talk to you guys soon.